This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It is our pregame edition on a Thursday as we record each and every game day week. It is game number 11 just ahead of us on Saturday afternoon in Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, the number 11 Penn State Nittany Lions visiting the Rutgers Scarlet Knights started their season 3-0, now 4-6. and We're going to talk about that squad in just a moment with one of our 24-7 site colleagues. A little bit later here in the show, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan from Lions 24-7. They'll be back on board. We'll break down what we saw and what we did not see at Penn State's practice on Wednesday evening, what we heard from James Franklin after that practice availability. And then look forward to this matchup, give you our players to watch, final predictions and storylines to know as Penn State tries to make it three wins in a row here in November of 2022, improve to 9-2 and two, and continue to build that case for a New Year's Six Bowl consideration. Well, each and every year on the Lions 24-7 podcast, as long as I've been associated with it, we have had Bobby Darren on this show be- before the Rutgers matchup. So why mess with that? It's been a good thing for us. And Bobby, we always appreciate it when you hop on board to break down the Scarlet Knights. Last year, of course, the season ended in a bowl game. This year started 3-0. Naturally, you reached mid-November on your beat, not exactly where Scarlet Knights fans had hoped it would get. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ty. And um. Yes, season started off with promise, and, and you know, razor thin margin. Some of those wins, losses, um, didn't really go how Rutgers planned it. But you know, the offense continues to be a struggle, and uh, that's really been the Achilles heel of this team. I mean, it's been the Achilles heel of, of Rutgers in this matchup in particular. You look back to the first time these two teams played as Big Ten opponents. It was in Piscataway. It was a game that the Rutgers looked like they, they were going to come away with. They lost that one 13-10. Oh, by the way, it was James Franklin's first game as a head coach in this conference. So it was a while back. That's the most points that Rutgers has scored against Penn State, 10 of them. Since then, seven seven more matchups. They have maxed, maxed out at seven points in each of those games They've got a young quarterback here, Gavin Wimsat. He, he left high school early, came across the country, uh, was with Rutgers last year. It's his opportunity now. What do you make of, of this offense, which has already seen an offense, already seen the coordinator fired, already seen a, a kind of a quarterback carousel, injuries playing a role in that? Are they sputtering to the finish line, or are there some signs of perhaps hope? There are some signs of hope, and that, and that basically comes from Gavin Wimsett. I mean, he just turned 19, as you said, enrolled early, enrolled when he should have been his senior year of high school, um, came in, did a lot of learning, and, and now, you know, every week he's facing defenses where coordinators are just throwing everything at him to just try to throw him off because he really hasn't seen a lot at the college level, but he's he's coming along and step by step, so I think you'll be able to see some flashes from him. He's not surrounded by the greatest receiving core in the world, so you're not going to see guys get wide open downfield makes things a little tougher for him having a new OC having to, to work under him and learn under him is a whole different ball game as well. Um, just a lot going against the offense this year in terms of, of his development. He had an ankle injury earlier, so you've seen him a little hesitant to run as of late. Uh, it's another facet of his game that really helps open things up. But I think you'll see some promise in him. Um, but Rutgers really has to get to work on some wide receivers. And, and after this season, they lose some of the top ones they have, which isn't the strongest core to begin with. Um, but I, I think you'll see some flashes from him. He's an exciting young player. Well, uh, Bo Melton was a, you know, a prevalent factor in this series of late. He was kind of the playmaker that we circled on an annual basis and said, this is the Rutgers player. You really got to keep your eyes on. Of course, Isaiah Pacheco, who, who's gone on to, to do some nice things with the Kansas City Chiefs as a rookie. What, what was a factor here? Who is out there for, for Gavin Wimsett? I mean, I know they've got a veteran who's played a lot of Big Ten football, can do some things with it, and you'll get there. But are there any emerging figures, or is that part of the problem here? Uh, that is part of the problem. Um, freshman Rashad Rochelle showed a lot of promise, but 
They bring brought him along slowly. He's run some wildcat quarterback last week. Uh, you can see he has a, a little dynamic flair to him when when he plays. But um, you know the pipeline is kind of dry. And when you look at these young receivers, they're really I think they're going to have to hit the portal really hard. Uh, try to pull some guys in and give this guy some help. I mean, it, it's just been so long. Even Bo Melton was limited in some of what he did. Um, they just haven't had that dominant receiver, number one receiver, that they can really count on for a while. So um, it's to say it's a work in progress would be kind of an understatement. Yeah, Aaron Crookshank has, has has been around. It feels like forever. Uh, started his career elsewhere with Penn, with, with the Rutgers. Um, how much of a weapon can he be? Because we've seen it in, in flashes over the course of, of his career on different Big Ten campuses, on special teams, on offense. Well, you watch him, and, and he was you know former Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Year, and he's really dynamic in the open field. They'll try to get him the ball a lot on these these jet sweeps and end arounds and. And you kind of wonder why can't they get this guy ball the ball in space and and let him you know get in the open field and, and make some plays. Um, it's been a struggle, but if you watch you know when you watch the game, you'll see that wow this guy's got some ability. But um, you know it, it's his last hurrah as well. He's he's one of the top receivers they have, one of the top playmakers they have, and he's going after this season. So um, it's it's been a bit of a mystery why they can't get him more involved in the passing game. But I think you'll see that try to use him quite a bit on Saturday. Before we talk about getting the ball to these weapons, how about protecting this young quarterback? That's been an issue for teams playing Penn State lately. Last couple of weeks, they've piled up the tackles for loss and sack numbers. This offensive line very much put together like patchwork in the offseason. How has that turned out for Rutgers through 10 weeks, and where are they up front? Well, it's been better, but it's been better than last year. But you have to remember they started 10 offensive linemen last year, and, and no – combination last season started more than three games no combination of five players so it, they were just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping six so they went out and bought, uh, brought in a bunch of transfers three of which are starting on on the offensive line um it's been better but it's been inconsistent i mean they rolled over michigan state last week 162 yards for kyle Manungai, and um you saw them play well they're better against the better run blocking and pass blocking but inconsistent when they play these you know uh, more of these stacked teams um, you can just see that they're just not to the level where they need to be. But they play well in spots. It seems like every single time these two teams meet, when when Rutgers hangs around, it's because they have that motivated defensive energy, and that's coming from the sideline, that's extending to the players on the field. But then it fizzles out because they're not able to generate offensive possessions. It feels like that's the hope here, at least early in Piscataway, so they get that kind of performance from this defense. Where is that unit uh, playing right now? What kind of a level are they at? Because while we've mentioned the inability for Rutgers to score points, Penn State has been held under 30 points in four straight matchups against Rutgers. Rutgers' defense is playing well, but it, it can't put a complete four quarters together the way it needs to to win these games because the offense, like you said, sputters. Um, and for whatever reason, once in a while, they'll have some lapses. They're very susceptible over the middle. If you go back and watch a lot of their film, a lot of big games come over the middle in the passes once again happened last week. Um, you know, I think the safety play could be a little better. Um, the defensive line is, is solid, but you don't have that dominant pass rusher where you, you have to put two guys on him every play. Uh, you might have to double-team some of those guys once in a while, but it, it's not a defense that really relies on one guy. It relies on every level kind of doing their job. Um, I know that kind of sounds like, you know, uh, how, how it's supposed to be drawn up, but it really is. It's not a it thrives off of one player really just – you know, being a menace on the field. So um, I think they'll come out, and I think they will play solid defense. And, and if I had to predict the storyline, it would be, you know, the defense keeps the game close for a while. The offense makes a couple plays, but not enough. And, you know, the defense wears down, and, and the score looks a little less uh, competitive than the game might have been. Something that we're expecting to see from Penn State in this matchup that we didn't see from them in the last couple times they played Rutgers is more offensive balance. Two years ago, I'm sure you remember, Penn, uh, Penn State came to Rutgers, put up a, a sizable advantage in the first half. It, it was a windy day, and they just shut it down. Will Levis, the backup quarterback, was running the ball up the gut. Kevon Lee was running the ball up the middle, and they got out of Piscataway with the win. Last year, Rutgers couldn't get, run the ball against anybody. And, and so you've got Christian Veyer in there as a quarterback, as a, as a third stringer, or whatever he was at the point, second stringer. Um, and, and they were relying on the pass in that matchup. So if Rutgers is able to establish the ground game, which they've been doing with the freshman attack, and they can pass the ball, does Rutgers stand a chance uh, to, to, to hold up even through a first half? And which of those aspects is more important for Rutgers to eliminate from Penn State's offensive abilities? 
I think they they could uh, you know if they can, if they can generate some offense, you could see this game stay close in the first half. But it just there's just not enough in the tank to go four quarters. The talent disparity is too much in Penn State's favor. Um, they could try and exploit certain things, but you know as you saw in the game you mentioned in Piscataway, it, it just came down to physics. They were moving the Rutgers guys in the trenches, yeah. and they were just rolling over them on both sides of the ball. And, and I think, you know, that is eventually what, what kind of transpires here. Um, it, it, it's going to come down to, you know, our guys push your guys around or vice versa. Um, and, and I just don't think Rutgers is at the level now where they can compete with the Penn State for four quarters. Um, I think Greg Shiano is going to have a game plan that tries to keep it close for a while. It might be more on the conservative side. I don't think you're going to see a lot of big risks, but – um, I do think the defense will play tough. It's senior day, a lot of emotions. You know, you got to wonder how, how pumped up Penn State's going to be coming in for this game. You know, Rutgers, this is their last hurrah at home. I mean, if, if they pulled an upset against Penn State, the fans would forgive every loss for the last decade, I think. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think, it, I think it'll be a game for the first half. But, you know, I think you'll start to see things stretch a little bit in the second half in Penn State's favor. And look, you said it there that that, that Penn State fans aren't. Are, I'm sorry, Rutgers fans are not approaching this one putting Penn State on upset alert. Uh, they would treat a win uh, like one of the biggest that they've experienced, and right. none of us are expecting that. I know you're not predicting that, but where is the the fan base right now in terms of wrapping their arms around the program again with Greg Schiano as the figurehead? It felt like that would have been a lot easier to do six, seven weeks ago maybe than it is now after you see them go toe-to-toe against not just the elite in the Big Ten, the Michigan, the Ohio State, now Penn State, the ranked opponents, but other teams that have felt like maybe Rutgers was trying to get the rung up the ladder toward and they weren't unable to do that. Well, as soon as Shiano took over, there was you couldn't really find any naysayers. Everybody was on board. He did it the first time. He, you know, They've suffered since he left. He, he can do it again. And now you kind of have a camp where you're starting to see some mixed emotions, uh, mixed reactions. Uh, people are saying, well, it needs time. It's a big rebuild. The, the cupboard was bare. Then you have other people saying, well, look at Illinois. You know, look at Kansas. Um, look at these teams who are doing it in a year or two and, and turning things around. And, and I think the thing that makes it tough is, is, yeah, they lost some close games this year, but they lost them without really doing anything dynamic on offense. So, it doesn't make for an exciting product for most fans. I mean, most fans don't want to watch a 14-13 game, you know, a 12-10 game, something of that nature. They want to see points. They want to see scoring. And you just don't get that with this team. So I think there's some frustration. It's year three. I mean, Shiano shined at an eight-year deal. He's not going anywhere. So yeah, next year is the year they're really billing is that big year. You know, Wimsett will have some time in. These younger players will have developed. Um, so next year is the year they're really, you know, hinging this turnaround on. Um, if it doesn't happen next year, you're going you're gonna to hear a lot more uh, uproar with the fan base. But um, for right now, you know, like I'd say, it's a mixed bag. Some people are patient with the rebuild, while others are like, come on, you got to show me something. Yeah, it would seem to me that would be more about a 14-13 loss at home against Nebraska team that fired their coach, a 27-10 loss at home against an Iowa team that's getting flamed by their fan base for an inability to score points, and then a 31-0 loss to a Minnesota team that really lost track of its way at midseason. Um, I think that's more concerning probably for a lot of the, the Rutgers fan base than uh, you know a 39-point loss in Columbus, Ohio, or, or getting throttled by a Michigan team that's unbeaten, or if they were to lose by 25 points against against Penn State this upcoming weekend. Let's get to that matchup and, and, and hear your final thoughts on it before we let you go, Bobby. We sorted through it a little bit from, from Rutgers' perspective. My colleagues and I are going to dive into it from Penn State in just a moment. Uh, where do you stand on this matchup? What do you think about the, the uh, outcome? And, and ultimately, is it just kind of exactly the same scenario that we've seen play out time and time again? Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. But I do think that Gavin Wimsett adds some intrigue to this game because the, the kid has a lot of problems with a lot of different things. If they can get him going, he throws well on the run. Nunzio Campanelli's the interim OC. Um, you know, he's only got a couple games left in that. So he could, you know, run out some some, some interesting plays there and, and, and call a decent game. And and um, I mean it comes down to execution. Rutgers was down seven was up on Michigan 17-14 at the half. And, you know, the bottom fell out. Wimps had through three interceptions in the second half and they lost 52-17. So um, you know, the potential is there the first half, but you know, four quarters is a long time. And I think you're going to see a similar scenario here. It's just, you know, it's tough to, to compensate for such a disparity in the talent department 
for four quarters. You know, it, Rutgers just isn't there yet. It just doesn't have the playmakers. You look at their offense and you go, where are they going to score? I mean, they took advantage of a Michigan State defense that really wasn't very good uh, last week and, you know, ran for 162 yards, did a lot of more, more offensively, but still couldn't win the game. So it's tough to imagine a scenario where they can pull it off this week against a better team. Bobby Darren covers the Rutgers Scarlet Knights for 24-7 Sports. Always happy to have him here on the Lions 24-7 podcast to break down this annual matchup in Big Ten play. Bobby, be well. We'll see what happens Saturday. Take care of yourself. All right. Thanks, Ty. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, let's uh, get back into the Penn State perspective and do that with Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan, my colleagues at lines247.com. And they were treated to some basketball coverage already on a Thursday, uh, 1130 tip off for the Penn State Nittany Lions who get the 4-0, hold on for a victory over Furman. Uh, Plenty of coverage on that at the site, lines247.com. But, guys, right now it's Thursday. It's time to get locked and loaded for this next football matchup. Only two of them left on the Big Ten schedule. And, as usual, coming out of practice with our observations, the notebook up on on a Wednesday evening, and it's more about who we aren't seeing than it is about who we are seeing this time of year, isn't it, Daniel? Definitely. I mean, we walked in there to the Huluba Hall last night and looked immediately at that offensive line group. That is the big question, I think, for what Penn State is missing, um, who is kind of at the top of everyone's mind, and really the position group that can go a long way towards determining uh, how a game goes out. So no Olu Fashionu um, again. Uh, we saw Caden Wallace out there doing oh, a little bit, a, a little bit of stuff. Uh, Salim Wormley was out there. Um, and then beyond that, you saw Drew Shelton going through uh, his normal complement of reps. Guys like Vanga Ioane, J.B. Nelson, Jimmy Christ, um, some names that have come pretty familiar over these past uh, couple of weeks when it comes to that that front five group. Yeah, and, and J.B. Nelson here is a guy that, that we saw repping some at left tackle and something to monitor there. We've talked about it a bit. Guy who has tackle history, was evaluated as a tackle by 24-7 sports, although uh, always along the way noting that he could play a couple different positions for Penn State. It has been an interior role for him. He played a lot at guard a couple weeks ago, didn't play at all. And, and this is where the redshirt things come into play. J.B. Nelson's interesting because his first season at the, at the junior college level was wiped out in terms of eligibility by COVID. So he's really able to, to have a lot of eligibility for a guy who's been around football for a while. He could go into next year as a fourth-year redshirt sophomore. So I, that's the last time I'm going to try to say that. But it, they got to get him to the finish line here with four or fewer games. He's got three of them. Vengo Ioane has two games against him. Uh, you know, can you get him involved for two more games? The one that feels unavoidable now and, and really at this point inevitable, Mark Brennan, is that Drew Shelton is going to rip off that Band-Aid, become the 10th Nittany Lion to burn his redshirt. Because I don't see at this stage how he doesn't if it's at if it's at the detriment of your team, he, he he seems to be one of your five best offensive linemen available at the moment. Yeah, well, first of all, I can't believe we pulled off this transition from Bobby to 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 uh, Daniel and I, and that's not a knock on on you, Tyler. I I figured one of us would screw this up somewhere along the way, but yeah, I mean, it looked like as if maybe they're trying to maneuver some people around at tackle to to make it work and. It looks like Caden Wallace is getting closer and closer. But I just think as well as Drew Shelton has played the last couple of games, I I don't think you can afford not to play him. And I've said it before. Listen, if this guy's as good as as we were told he was coming uh, into the program or after uh, after camp coming into the season, 
Uh, you know, just as, as technically advanced as any true freshman offensive lineman have had. Just had to really get a little bit bigger physically, which I think he still does and still will. But I just don't see him being a five-year guy. Uh, now, knock on wood, let's hope he, you know, he doesn't get banged up and needs all five of those years. But I think he's going to be a guy who uh, you're not going to need him. So why not go ahead and, and play him and, you know, try to set that tone uh, you, you've gotten some really good consistency from your offensive line for multiple games in a row. And I would even include the Ohio State game in, in there because I thought the line played well, all things considered, in that game, even though you had one massive effort by a tremendously gifted defensive end. But I think since that Michigan game, this, lot, this group has really started to come together, showed its depth, uh, is allowing the offense to play with balance. And I don't know why you would – I think you, would, you wouldn't want to pull a part out of that that you don't have to at this point. And I think Drew Shelton is a big part of it. And, you know, let him keep doing what he's doing and build toward the future. I think the important part here is navigating four quarters and being able to play Drew Aller. And, and if this game goes the way we think it will, and, and as Bobby Darren thinks it will in Piscataway, being able to really maximize the situation here late in the season – but without putting guys in peril. And James Franklin alluded to this coming out of last week's game is not necessarily having full confidence in a complete second team offensive line at this stage because of what they're working with. We've seen it. They've had freshmen walk on players, no discredit to them, but those guys are doubling up as developmental squad players. So then to try to put them in front of Drew Aller and make them protect Drew Aller, you know, that we're talking about the crown jewels here, folks. And so I think that there's something to be said for the way they're going to handle this. And it makes me wonder if we may see some mixing and matching to get guys work. Avego Ioane, this seems like a, a great opportunity. Again, he can play two games over the next three weeks uh, and still come away with that redshirt status. Um, both guard spots, I think, are up for contention for him to play a role in this Saturday. Uh, and then additionally, J.B. Nelson, do you see him play some left tackle and maybe see Drew, ne Drew Shelton come inside and play some left guard? We've seen Drew Shelton play some left guard. You get some guys' looks in games. You try to figure out what you have, not just for right now, but going into the postseason practice. What do you actually have in your tackle arsenal going into this offseason where it's not just conjecture and what you see on the practice field? Now you can lay it out a bit on a Big Ten, uh, on a Big Ten field, even against one of the conferences weaker opponents. So I think there's a lot of, of, of fine tuning that they can do through a strong performance. That's not just about, uh, you know, getting the, the, the best five guys out there. It's maybe you're playing eight, nine guys with consistency, but maybe three or four of them are kind of shuffling around a little bit. And, and, and we'll see with Caden Wallace's availability, because that would presumably be able to free up uh, Bryce Efner to do some things inside. But I still think that if Wallace is unavailable, Efner is really your guy to ride at right tackle until it's out of hand. And then you probably go to Jimmy Crist and get him some work. That definitely seems like how it'll shake out. Um, I do think they are going to get the opportunity for some of those younger guys to get in, but kind of like you and you said, and James Franklin was talking about after last week, uh, when it comes to getting Drew Aller time, which is what everyone wants to see. I think we even want to see it. We're interested in that that it doesn't make sense to put him in in the fourth quarter when he's got a couple walk-ons in front of him. Um, when, you know, if every if all things being equal, if the line was healthy, he'd be in behind the second stringers. Well, now he's in behind the third stringers uh, with some of the, the pieces that Penn State is missing up front. So I thought that was a good explanation from James Franklin um, after last week's game as to why we didn't uh, necessarily see Drew Aller uh, as much as maybe we thought. Um, you know, probably still could have seen him earlier uh, in that Maryland game. But, you know, I do think that this is a chance to get guys work. Um, at the same time, though, you you have to get to that point where you're doing that. And Rutgers had Michigan on the ropes um, even last year when Rutgers was uh, up here in State College. Now, a little bit different circumstances with Penn State dealing with that flu bug. I was going through the box score last night and that was still a seven nothing game at halftime. Um, so, you know, you got to get to that point. Uh, I think we all think Penn State will get there, but uh, weird things can happen in Biscataway. Rutgers, and I, I think the one thing with Greg Schiano is that he's kind of raised the floor of the program a little bit. To There's a, a level of competency there, especially on defense, and that can make things a little dicey, a little ugly, or maybe – you know, make things at least take longer than we might expect to, to get to a certain point. 
Mark, I don't know about you, but it feels like this matchup, wherever it's played, it could be here, it could be in Piscataway, it's it's kind of the same deal every year. Saquon Barkley could be on the field, Miles Sanders could be on the field, Journey Brown could be on the field, it could be Trace McSorley or Sean Clifford at quarterback. It's something like 13 nothing early in the third quarter, and Penn State finds a way to win 27 to 6 because Rutgers can't threaten, Rutgers can't string together a, a series for more than six or seven plays. And regardless of how Penn State may be sputtering or if they're uninspired through a first half, it doesn't really matter because they snap out of it and, and the talent wins out and the coaching wins out. Uh, and I think ultimately, when you look at this matchup, is Penn State actually primed to avoid that whole sloppy, you know, kind of sleepwalking start? Because this is a team that has really answered the bell since that Ohio State loss, and they're gelling in a way that is involving a lot of young, hungry players. This isn't a team that, kind of like last year, the vibes you got was was stringing it together at this point in the season. They were trying to survive. They were trying to get wins, but they were really just trying to survive. Right now, you can see they're trying to build something for right now and for themselves moving forward. And to me, it starts with those two freshmen running back. If those guys come out with authority early, I just don't see how Rutgers can hang around very long. Yeah, I mean, I think Bobby hit on it when when he was saying that you just don't see where Rutgers has the offense to to do enough to to to, to stay with it. Even if Penn State doesn't have its A game on offense, I think it's going to score more than enough points uh, to win this thing. But going back to like this series, Tyler, you know, the, the, the games have been close, but you you never got that feeling that Penn State was in trouble, and you never got that feeling that Penn State was panicking, even when the games were close. You know, obviously the in 2014, that was a little different situation. You know, Penn State had a severely depleted roster and really had a scratch and claw to get that win. But I do think it speaks, and it's something that Daniel hit on with uh, with Maryland last week, that, you know, you get this far into the season and there's a big difference in recruiting depth that you can see. So, yeah, if a team like Maryland or Rutgers could bring in a handful of really good players, that's great. But if you're not stockpiling them over and over and over, and what are we seeing with Penn State? What's making the difference for, for Penn State right now? It's a bunch of true freshmen who came in and are ready to immediately make an impact. And that's on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll get to, but it's also on the offensive side of the ball when you look at Drew Shelton. And then you look at the two running backs. And, and, and I think the two running backs is the difference that they've made in terms of this offense being able to be more balanced because they, they give the offensive line just more of a margin for error where if you're, if it's fourth and one and Catron Allen looks like he's going to be dropped in the backfield, he makes one guy misses and scores. Or if it's fourth and one and you hand it to Nick Singleton and he makes one guy miss and he's going to distance for, for two long touchdowns. So when, when, getting back to this series, you, Rutgers just doesn't have that many players that can do those sorts of things on both sides of, of the ball. And that's why I, I don't think uh, these games have been particularly competitive, even though the scores have been. But I do agree that I think it's important for Penn State, with it, the momentum that it's built the last two weeks, to not just come out and sleepwalk this thing. Uh, no matter how many people are in the stadium, come out and play well and show that these last two games you're, you're continuing – to build towards something that these last two games against Rutgers and Michigan state mean something. And there's different checkpoints in the college football season where you're like, how much gas does that team have in the tank? How much do they want to play for each other? Do they want to play for the coaching staff? And I feel like maybe Rutgers hit it's like uh, it's last kind of max point in that maybe at halftime against Michigan and what happened after halftime against Michigan, where the Wolverines just rolled over them in Piscataway, and it was you know a demoralizing result. Um, I wonder if Rutgers has that energy to match what they put up against Michigan in the first half here against Penn State, or if they have kind of tapped out on the gas. And we wondered where the gas meter was going to be for Penn State coming into November. But would they still have as much motivation in play? And they've answered that in a big way these last eight quarters. They've got a really juicy matchup here to keep building on that, but they've got to show up and they've got to be ready to – to, to, you know, to go from the first snap, but they really, really don't. I mean, I, I, they really don't have to be because they can't. We've seen them do it. They've seen, we've seen them go a quarter, a half, and still recover and, and come away with a comfortable margin of victory. I guess speaking to that, uh, a big part of it is defensively, this Penn State team, I, I don't see a lot of opportunities uh, for Rutgers to find its footing here because, Daniel, uh, they have found a groove. They're getting after the opposing backfield, and Rutgers is ripe for the picking in that department. 
you look at the past two weeks, the 13 sacks, 25 tackles for loss. Um, and when you talk about the the injuries that, you know, we saw Curtis Jacobs at, at practice uh, on Wednesday. Um, <coughs> we didn't see Joey Porter Jr., but they've built so much depth there that, that that spot seems like it'll be fine. So, you know, even when you are missing pieces, you know, that you know, when you talk about overall in the roster, I mean, the, the defense for Penn State is still pretty strong. Um, it, it's come through the season pretty intact for the most part. Um, so I think that this defense is in uh, just really good shape. Um, you know, that Michigan State defense, you look at the numbers and it's bad. It is just not not a good defense, uh, just not a good scene. So I was looking through the the numbers for, for Rutgers and, you know, Gavin Wimsett, it's his, his best game of the year. Um, the young running back, um, I don't want to butcher his last name, uh, Kyle M., um, he had the you know the best game of of his career, but that's against Michigan State. You know that's against a defense that I believe is ranked outside of the top 100 in in most categories. Um, and then you look at what happened against Michigan, what's happened against some of the other teams on their schedule, and you know I think that what Rutgers does is going to be closer to Michigan than Michigan State um, when when it comes to facing Penn State. Uh, so I think it's just going to be a, a really long day. Now, I'm excited to see Wimsat in person because, you know, there's a lot of hope riding on him uh, in New Jersey that he can kind of be that quarterback uh, to help lift them. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, they've it's happened before. or They've put their faith in guys before. Um, but I just really like how the Penn State defense is playing. You've seen that pass rush finally get active. Um, and you've seen other guys step up too. I mean, we're two weeks removed from Kobe King leading the team in tackles. You know, that's kind of the, when you talk about having depth at this point of the year and, and having guys can, that can step up being the difference between some of these programs. I think that's a prime example of it where you had a redshirt freshman at middle linebacker who was able to come in on the road and still perform. Um, I think that just Penn state, just with the depth that they've built on defense and just the way that they've been playing, just really flying around, just making plays these, these past two weeks. I mean, I think they're in good shape to, to keep it rolling. And I think this is a pretty proud group, a pretty cocky group. And it seems like that how that Ohio State game ended has was, you know, stung a decent amount. So I think that it's something where they're just trying to keep it rolling uh, all the way till the end of the regular season. Yeah, Joey Porter, wait and see mode for him, uh, you know, appendicitis, uh, recovering from that, that, that's hard to guess on. So we'll, we'll stay tuned, not expecting to see him in Piscataway. Um, but Curtis Jacobs back on the field, on the practice field, that's an important one, uh, getting him involved. Abdul Carter, don't expect him to go to the sideline for any extended period because of that. We've produced plenty of, of hyperbole regarding the newest number 11 at linebacker on this podcast, dating back to August, Mark Brennan. You've done some heavy lifting on that. But James Franklin certainly did his part after practice on Wednesday when I brought up Abdul Carter uh, to the head coach. Yeah, I mean, he said there aren't many humans who have his, what is it, the combination of aggressiveness and explosiveness, and I forget what else it was. But it's like when he says that, I mean, he said the same thing about uh, Aller's arm strength. And so he, he doesn't goof around when he says that. He just doesn't throw that stuff out there. Uh, but you see it. And, and Franklin has said, and I'm, I'm anxious, we have to track down the numbers. Once the season's over, we'll track down the numbers. But, um, you know, he's literally one of the fastest athletes in the program. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, and you you see it out. You see how it translates out there on the field. You know, the funny thing is, I don't think he's going to start this week. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but I think he's still going to play more snaps, which is they play this game. I don't know why they do it. I guess I do know why they do because Jonathan Sutherland's a captain and he's his career's winding down. But I think that it doesn't really matter who starts. It matters that you have your best linebacker and maybe your best defender if Joey Porter Jr. is not out there, uh, out out there playing a huge amount of snaps. And if you check Tyler's snap counts every uh, every week, you can see who the real starters are. Who you know who the, the guys who are really seeing the most playing time. But I do think. Um, getting Curtis Jacobs back is, is is good, you know, heading into these last couple games and into a bowl game because uh, I just think it makes the defense that much better. And I think when you're able to pair Curtis Jacobs uh, and Abdul Carter out there at the same time, that just gives you a completely different look. But, you know, one guy I want to give a shout-out to that I think we've kind of overlooked the last couple of weeks and just one position in general is P.J. Mustafer. 
in the uh, in the defensive tackles because we're talking about all these guys flashing and making big plays, and that doesn't happen unless you have people in the center of that line beating people's heads in. That's allowing some of these guys to make these flash plays. So I did want to give a shout out to PJ because I think sometimes you know there were games early in the season when he was actually leading the team in tackles, which which is fine. But ideally, that's not how this defense works. So to see him in there doing what he does, and I hope that the NFL scouts are paying attention to it because I think, end of the day, uh, you know, he's doing some good things as well. His days are dwindling, but I'll tell you what, Kazai Izzard has shown us something yeah. since he got back on the field, and, and he is a reason that you should be excited about this defensive tackle room moving forward, what he has produced here the last couple of months, six weeks or so uh, since getting back involved. Uh, elsewhere in defense, a quick note that I wanted to get to on Christian Driver because we got more clarity for, from both uh, Penn State head coach James Franklin and receivers coach Taylor Stubblefield this week on what is setting up as a late-season transition that sounds like it'll be a full-time switch come next spring um, reading between the lines here right now uh, they, they still have Christian driver engaged at cornerback they need him to know what his uh, responsibilities are defensively we saw him take some snaps last week it was a second second career college game but he's also practicing with wide receivers right now and James Franklin Taylor Stubblefield say that is the intended landing spot for him full time so my guess is when we see this team you know trot out for their early spring practice work we won't have to check on cornerback for him. It'll be Christian Driver at receiver. But we heard a lot from Taylor Stubblefield on this one after we heard from James Franklin on it. And, Daniel, you were documenting this on our on our board for our VIP subscribers, as we do for all of our uh, availabilities over the course of these game weeks. What stood out to you about Stubblefield's comments on on Driver and, and kind of this, this move that they have been forecasting really since his recruitment as a possibility? Yeah, it, it seems like that they've just kind of that the conversations that they had during Christian Driver's recruitment just really continued into his freshman year. And I think that's another benefit of having a, a program where you can bring in a freshman like this and he doesn't have to play right away, um, that you can bring him in um, and, and figure out where, where his home is. Um, but Taylor Stubblefield said that during the, the conversations they had during the recruitment is that they they settled on defensive back being the best place for Christian Driver. Um, James Franklin said Wednesday night that they kind of planned him to plan for Driver to be on the Zaki Wheatley track, where you're a cornerback as a true freshman, learn the defense that way, then maybe you move over to safety um, after a year or two uh, and, and kind of round out the game, know the defense better. But it sounds like they left the door open for Driver that if he wanted to switch sides, he could approach them and, and they could discuss it. And it sounds like that that's what happened. And they, they decided that for the, for his future, that wide receiver is, is where he'll be. Of course, you know, he's a cornerback. He's been training as a cornerback for most of the season. Um, so, you know, they want him to finish out there. Um, you know, we saw him there against uh, Maryland. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley said on Wednesday that it's been about two weeks uh, that Christian driver has been working um at wide receiver uh we saw him in a, in a scout team jersey um th this week so uh it, it's interesting I, I thought the other element that tyler you asked taylor stubblefield about this where you know christian driver is the son of an nfl wide receiver donald driver and i think that when you look at those genes and that bloodline you kind of assume when it was is it going to be offense or defense you kind of thought it would be offense based on that um but Taylor Stubblefield said that, um, you know, like James Franklin, he has a relationship with Donald Driver that goes back, you know, more than a decade, not quite as far as James Franklin, but Stubblefield interned with the Packers. And I think he said 2010, got to know Donald Driver um, and they've kept up a relationship. And so, you know, he uses Donald Driver as a resource. He says that they talk shop um, sometimes. And so that that's something that, you know, they could have those discussions. And I think that that's something that, probably aided uh, this whole situation and, and another dimension and just a, another resource for them, them to lean on. So, um, you know, that transition, you know, maybe we'll hear more about it ahead of the bowl game. Um, but it seems like something that we'll see in the spring, but Penn state is getting kind of a head start on it right now. NFL Pro Bowl credentials will get you uh, maybe a little bit more uh, seat, at the, seat at the table with the coaching staff when you're talking about personnel moves and your future with your son. Not a lot of uh, parents get that kind of a seat at the table, but I didn't know about Stubblefield's history, you know, going back with 12 years 
with Donald Driver. That adds another dynamic to this, and I'm sure they've had a lot of open conversations. It seemed like an open conversation on the part of Christian Driver approaching them about his comfort level was the whole thing that, that drove this forward. And now what you've got is Ken Miller as the lone who's, who's got, who already burned his red shirt as the own cornerback in that in that group right now from the 2022 class. And all of a sudden you've got five freshmen, uh, one of which Omari Evans has, has, has burned his red shirt, but the other four uh, primed to go into 2023 as red shirt freshmen. So a lot to work through with that group. And Christian Driver is going to throw his hat into that ring. Uh, guys, when we get into players to watch before our predictions, I mean, you can go in a lot of different directions here. I think we'll see a bunch of players for a third consecutive week because of how this thing will go. But Mark, beginning with you offensively, defensively, where's the spotlight for Penn State? Offensively, I am going to go with Mitchell Tinsley. I think he. Uh, I think there will be a lot of uh, eyeballs defensively on Penn State's running game, and, and I just get a, a feel that he's going to be able to maybe find some gaps and do some things, and and maybe break a big play that that that, that I'm I'm kind of uh, hinting at what my bold prediction is going to be. So I, I would say Mitchell Tinsley, and over on defense. Boy, I haven't really thought about this one much, but I am going to go with P.J. Mustafer just because I don't think he's been getting a lot of love, and I think he's going to come through with a sack or two. He's going to do something crazy, recover a fumble, intercept a pass in some bizarre way. That's not my bold prediction, by the way. But I think <laughs> he's going to play really well. I think he's going to play really well and bash some heads in and let the uh, let the the, the uh, defensive ends and linebackers uh, uh, compile a bunch of uh, sacks. So watch for P.J. to play well as his career is winding down here. Mark, if you want to stick with P.J. Mustafer gets a, an interception in a bizarre way, that's a pretty good bull. That'd be thing. worse, than, that'd be worse than my last one. My, my last one with, was Nick Singleton taking a uh, kickoff to the house against a team that kicked off once. <laughs> against them I should have I didn't take into account that Maryland wasn't going to score in that game that was pretty stupid on my part but I have I have a different bold prediction so I'm going to stick with it all right we'll stick with you uh Daniel what do you got for us offensive defensive then we'll get to our predictions after I give my players I'll go Omari Evans on offense. I think that's a little bit of, of recency bias in talking to Taylor Stubblefield earlier Thursday. Uh, he gave a, a long, long answer when talking sure about did. Omar. Oh, yeah. I didn't put it into the <laughs> word count. Uh, I should have done that. But, um, you know, it was maybe two, two and a half minutes long, but he really dug into Omari Evans' improvement and development um, and kind of what some of the nuances of playing wide receiver are. Um, and the big thing that he said that, I guess the way it can be distilled down the best is that Omari Evans's body has never had to do the things that a wide receiver's body has to do on a regular basis because he was a high school quarterback. So like the speed is there, but there's a lot of, I think, muscle memory stuff um, that needs to happen too in terms of getting out of breaks and just becoming a, a refined player. Now, I mean, if this is the case that, that he's had to do all this work, kind of makes it even more impressive that he burned his red shirt and has been able to play this much. But um, I, I checked the weather forecast. I think it's supposed to be pretty good uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if Omari Evans can can get loose for deep pass, um, make something happen uh, with the ball in his hands. I think that there's going to be a lot of focus on stopping Nick Singleton and Katron Allen um, and trying to make Sean Clifford beat you. Um, you know, the Rutgers defense, I think that that's kind of where they have to, you know, really put their focus. So offensively, Omari Evans, defensively, uh, to tease a bold prediction a little bit, I'm going to go with Jair Brown. Um, it's a homecoming for him. Uh, earlier this week, he talked a lot about kind of coming up to the end and knowing that this is the end of his career. This is it. Um, he said he's heard from 30 people uh, that, that want to come see him play, and he's looking forward to the chance to, to be near Trenton. Um, near the end of his college career. Um, so I think that he's the type of player that knows how to step up in these bigger spots. So that's what I'm expecting to see uh, on the defensive side of the ball. He won't have trouble getting tickets, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all right, let me get into the cheese, Mark. Um, <laughs> we, we almost made it through the show without a, a blatant joke. It, but it's a nice, nice one there for you. All right, let's jump into it with mine. Um, offensively, 
to me, Theo Johnson, the first, uh, I guess, half of this season was basically an offensive afterthought. And, and since then, he has looked like a potential NFL draft prospect at the tight end position. Um, he has been such a stark difference in his involvement and in the ability to, to get him the ball in space and what he's done with that. You know, that he did have a bad drop, which would have made these stats look better with a 33-yard touchdown against Indiana. But even with that off the board, he's really piecing together a, a really a special chunk of the season. I think Brendan Strange continues to get involved. There's a reason that everybody in this facility says all these guys in the room are going to be playing NFL football down the road. And, and I'm not saying Theo Johnson is going to use this five, six, seven game season abbreviated uh, outburst as a uh, as the springboard to the NFL next year. But I think he might have the Big Ten in the country on alert after a few more games, including this one. I think he goes 75-plus yards uh, again. That, that would be the second time in a matter of a month or so. And I think he gets to the end zone again and just really exploits generally what Rutgers can't accomplish with their safety play across the middle. I think he's going to be a beneficiary of, of that over the course of this matchup. Defensively, you know, don't look now, but, but Adiza Isaac's really starting to put together some strong football, three tackles for loss, back-to-back -back games with a sack, um, a guy that was clearly trying to find his footing find that burst, just just find his way around uh, playing this many snaps in a Power 5 football field again, uh, working back from that Achilles injury. I think he's a guy that stands to gain a lot from another season with Penn State, and they stand to gain a lot with getting him back on the trajectory he's been in. So I think a guy that's pretty close to his hometown here and, and, and pretty close to New York City, I think he'll put on a nice performance and, and, and sign me up for a multi-sack game from Adiza Isaac. So let's get to our predictions. Uh, toss your bowl prediction, which you guys have done a great job teasing throughout this segment. And we'll begin with you, Mark. Yeah, my bold prediction uh, goes back to what Daniel said about uh, about the, the job that the two freshman running backs have done, uh, Allen and Singleton. I think if you're Greg Schiano, you're really going to focus on taking those two guys away. Why? Because if you have any chance you want Sean Clifford to try to beat you with his arm and maybe make mistakes, but I don't think he's going to make mistakes in this game. I think that's going to allow Mitchell Tinsley to have the longest touchdown reception by a Penn State wide receiver this year. Currently, it's 58 yards by Parker Washington. I think Mitchell Tinsley gets one even longer than that. For my score prediction, uh, listen, we've seen Penn State play two other programs who are in the bottom 10 of the NCAA in passing completion percentage. One was Indiana, one was Auburn, and we saw how those games went. These teams just are not equipped. You have to have you have to have an accurate passing game to be able to keep this defense honest. And if you can't keep them honest, it's going to be a feeding frenzy. I think Penn State, the defense plays extremely well. The offense plays well. 45 to 14. That may seem like a lot of points for Rutgers, but I think they get a touchdown late in the game against some very, very deep reserves. Daniel, what do you have for us? For my bold prediction, I'm, I'm going back to the well with Jair Brown. Um, I think he's going to have two interceptions, uh, and he'll return one of those for a touchdown. Um, I think that he'll have plenty of opportunities. Uh, Wimsat has shown that you know, he can be prone to the interception bug here and there, and I think that Jair Brown is really going to be locked in for this game and, and at the top of his game. Um, as for the score prediction, uh, kind of similar to, to Maryland and kind of looking at the historic trends. I mean, the fact that Rutgers has never scored more than 10 points against Penn State since joining the Big Ten uh, in 2014 just kind of stands out as one of those things that just feels like such an anomaly. But I don't think that's going to end uh, here. Um, I have Penn State 38, Rutgers 6. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm feeling spicy, we could say touchdown and a missed extra point to get to 6. But I don't think that uh, Penn State is going to let Rutgers get very close to the end zone at all on Saturday. All right, I'll step up here. I've got a lower scoring affair that, that's kind of more suited towards the scores we've seen of late from this matchup. 31-7, to 7, Penn State pulling out a win. I think right now offensively, they're in a really good spot not to stumble over themselves and, and set the stage for, Penn State, or for Rutgers in this matchup. What they've been able to do with this balance, and I think really it's gone beyond balance. Early on in the year, you were like, wow, you finally have an opportunity for Sean Clifford to turn around, hand the ball off, and there's a little bit of a safety net underneath him. And then it went, the rushing game took another step. And then it was, okay, you actually have some balance here. You can you can go with both the run and the pass when you need to. Now I feel like it's more of a lean toward the run. And I like that move. I, I like that buy-in this time of year in the Big Ten especially. But I like it with the direction 
the offensive line is going, with the direction these two freshman running backs are going, with where Sean Clifford is at this point in his career. They're leaning into the run. Look at the way they started out offensively last week and the way they try to assert themselves. I think that's the game plan here early against Rutgers. The explosive plays will come through the passing game. I think Theo Johnson's a big part of that. If Parker Washington's available, could be really a special performance for him. We've, we've seen him come up big um, in Piscataway in the past. Um, so I'm going with a, not necessarily a huge offensive endeavor again for Penn State. 31 points would be the most for them against Rutgers since 2017, if you can believe it. But yet again, I'm going to you know side with, with Rutgers really struggling to move the ball. And my bold prediction maybe isn't that bold of late, but I'm going to go Penn State having more tackles for loss uh, than Rutgers scoring points. And if that happens, that's three straight weeks here in November where Penn State will have more tackles for loss than the opponent's point total. That's a pretty good spot to be in at this stage of the season. So we've all got them going to 9-2, and two, taking that next step. You already talked about Michigan State and their struggles this year, and they would be the last team remaining on the schedule. Uh, fellas, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up this pregame podcast episode, the last road game of the Big Ten schedule? I just can't no, believe Daniel found a, found a player whose name he couldn't pronounce. <laughs> I mean, he's like he's like I won't even say Tunga Vailoa because I screw it up all the time. Daniel, he's he had Fashanu before anybody else. He had Venga before everybody else. So if, if Daniel can't pronounce somebody's name, we're we're in trouble. But no, I, I do think it's important uh, for Penn State to not just come out and sleepwalk through this game. Uh, play like it matters because it does matter. Getting to a New Year's Six Bowl does matter for this program. I've talked about it before. You want to get back to where you were before the COVID hit, before uh, the COVID pandemic hit, and, and this is another step to doing it. So don't mess around. Go out there and take care of business, and it's going to put you in a position to go into that uh, regular season finale at home, uh, having to win one game to likely lock down a New Year's Six spot. Nowhere else I'd rather be to wrap up the road slate than Piscataway, New Jersey. I've got some dinner recommendations for you. Don't worry about it. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much. We thank Bobby Darren for giving us the lowdown on these Scarlet Knights earlier here on the podcast. Uh, for Daniel, for Mark, I'm Tyler Donahue. We're back with a post-game podcast episode Saturday between now and then and through the game. Full coverage of this game week at lines247.com along with the latest on recruiting and this 4-0 start for the Hoops program. They've got a busy weekend as well. Stay with us at lines247.com. We'll talk to you real soon. I'm Tyler Donahue signing off for now. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.